Just the highlighted part. It can get wordy. If I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed. Not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. But he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me, and many such plans he still has in store. <laughs> that is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Hello and welcome to the Fear of God podcast. All you could ever need or want to know about the Fear of God podcast can be found at thefearofgodpodcast.com. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And I am one of your hosts, Reed Lackey. At the Fear of God, we always find that it's better to explore than to explain, but every now and then... Seismic shifts come along that call for the act of exploration to bear fruit in what might be called explaining. If our show were solely a horror movie review show, then it might not be worth the energy to make this distinction. But using what scares us, whether what scares us is a movie monster or a spooky cabin or maybe even a pile of clothes or maybe what scares us is to take an afternoon drive or an afternoon jog, or to be in the same space 
with people who don't look like you, scared of what they'll say or what they'll do if things go badly. We here at the fear of God examine these things that scare us. We bring them out into the light. And in so doing, we find those things that will save us. Truth, self-sacrifice, empathy, compassion, hope, faith, love, community, our own breath. When we started this series in the morning, it was to learn together how to hold steady in the moment of a global pandemic. Remarkably, through the series, other powerful questions what is our relationship to the spaces we inhabit or what does it mean to learn how to lose have morphed into what is now a national moment of reckoning with our country's own painful original sin. We mark this episode appropriately centering on the leftovers season one with a desire to honor George Floyd to proclaim that black lives matter and to confess our failure at properly recognizing our complicity in the oppression of black brothers and sisters in the United States. Change only happens offline, but scripture compels us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Practically speaking, that renewal as it relates to race relations in America and our faithfulness as believers only comes through listening and educating ourselves. And it's time. It's long past time. The Leftovers asks the question, can we be made whole? It's a question with no easy answer, despite the church's insistence to the contrary. Much work must be done. But with the work, we do believe something like wholeness can be achieved. And so in this moment, we acknowledge our position of privilege and commit to stand beside our brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends, people of color across the globe. We hear you. We see you. And we pledge to listen, to learn, and to do better by you as neighbors, in hope and faith that someday you too may be able to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We would like now to intentionally observe a moment of silence for George Floyd, for African Americans across the country, for the United States, and for our own repentance. And now for something really special. What you're watching, what you're eating, what you're listening to. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, brother. Hey, my friend. How are you? What are you watching? What are you reading? Uh, What are you listening to? Thank you to Little Gowdy. Oh, my gosh. So, so great. So great. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's it's been kind of crazy. I would say 
So my family and I are doing a lot of fun things, but we're doing a lot of like rewatches of things that are really special. I'm I'm going to take this moment to talk very specifically. I debated about doing this because so much has been said about it, you know, in so many different contexts. But, you know, we're rewatching the Marvel movies uh, in kind of chronological order as how they happened, not how they were released. Um, and then my wife is also rewatching I Love Lucy, which is one of her favorite TV shows. Um, but I have been... And uh, it, it has not been very, very long that I've been doing this, but I've been making my way through the entire franchise. So all of the different series, all of the movies, uh, I have been making my way through Star Trek. And uh, yes, wow. I've, I've seen them all at some point Do or another. Do you sleep, Reed, <laughs> is a reasonable question to ask in light of the litany of things you just rattled off. Well, um, and, and it, it is slow going. Like, um, you know, I, I'm intentionally sort of bouncing between a couple of different series, but my intention is over time, and I'm just, you know, rolling through it at no particular pace, not having a goal of when to finish or whatever, but, um, but I'm making my way through kind of right now I'm bouncing back and forth between the original series with Kirk and Spock and all the rest and bouncing, uh, occasionally over to the series starring Scott Bakula, which was just called Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But my intention is eventually to go through all of Next Gen and all of Deep Space Nine and all of Voyager and, you know, the new shows Discovery and Picard and all the films. Um, and th- there's a few reasons why I did it. Um, I've always been a Trekkie fan. I've always, I mean, that that's that's just always been sort you of. You know, just a few weeks ago, you had pointy ears on as your headphones. I did, I did, not, I did. <laughs> this is not a surprising thing. <laughs> um, but I need, I know it's a fantasy TV show, but I need, I needed a show about people actively trying to do better. And there you go. And actively trying to you know, reach for the best version of ourselves, um, which is what that show at its heart has always been about. Even, you know, some of the missteps and the worst of episodes are still ultimately about what is our best selves and how do we become our best selves? Um, And, you know, the long, rich assimilation, right? (laughs) That's how we become our best. selves. Basically, basically resistance is (laughs) futile. Um, Exactly. So, um, and it's, man, it's been good. It's been good. Like now, it were just, there just in general? Go ahead. Were there? Did you have blind spots? Like, are there pieces of the puzzle you've not seen? I have yet, as of this recording, I have yet to make it all the way through Star Trek Discovery, which was the new uh, right. sort of iteration. Yeah. That is the only one I have never seen. Um, all of, but, of the rest of them. But you started it, right? You talked about it on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, st- I'd started it, um, but uh, I haven't made it all the way through season two yet. So I've finished all of season now, one. Now, but- like your MCU walkthrough, are you, watch this, trekking ah! chronologically through Trek? Come on. Yeah, you that be. was good. That okay. was good. Yeah. Um, I am. In fact, there's lots of nerdy things online, but there was a, you know, one that you actually- think- Right. Especially general. especially when it comes to Star Trek. <laughs> but um there was actually a um there's there's a website, I think it was called MythQuest or something. I just copied the information into into like my own personal document rather than keep going to the website. But it lists somebody took the time to list out chronologically these are how the episodes happened. Because particularly once you get into the next generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, they occupy the same events at the same times. So, mm. so you will bounce, 
maybe three episodes into Deep Space Nine, and then you'll go over for two episodes of Voyager, then you'll bounce back to Deep Space Nine, etc. Um, shows like the show like Enterprise all takes place sort of before right. any of the other pre-Kirk. chronology. Yes, pre-Kirk. And that's so, the one where where every at the end of everyone, Scott Bakula is like, oh boy, right? Like that's, <laughs> it's not the same that's show. That's that one. It's not the same oh, show. Though okay. I love that show. I do love <laughs> yeah. that show. Um, but no, so, uh, and and so I'm playing around with the rules a little bit because I'm kind of... You, you're such a rule breaker. I am, I am. But, you know, so because I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth between, you know, a few episodes of Enterprise and a few episodes of original series. But in general, I'm making my way through them kind of as they occurred in the timeline. Once I get to the next-gen Deep Space and Voyager runs, I will watch the episodes as they occurred in the chronology of the show. Um, so, and, uh, yeah. Question from a non-Trekkie. Oh, um, yeah. and, and I've got an appreciation for that franchise uh, with a passing awareness of aspects and runs on Next Generation and then more or less all of the films. But what are... Don't go nuts here if there's a major <laughs> one. Like, like in Star Wars. Okay, so that's that's where historically I've sat in the mm, battle okay. of the star franchises. Um, and in star Wars, it's the question the, the, the fight amongst fans is rise of Skywalker intentional garbage or accidental garbage. Right. So like <laughs> is what, <laughs> here we go. That's I'm trying to get argument. revved up. Riri. I'm getting revved up. <laughs> that one just took us, took us up a notch. Um, what are some of the, major franchise fan fights within star trek or are they as peaceful as the federation would have you believe no these characters I mean, are the they're 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 pretty darn they're pretty darn peaceful like in other words no nobody says that like it's entirely um like positive like for instance the 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 biggest argument that you might get are degrees of preference like yes right you're Which you're is- gonna be yeah so nerdy it's like that, that, that's that's the worst that's of it is that, is, no you're just gonna get like oh are you a, or a kirk guy or are you a picard guy or you know exactly and, and and it's just about degrees of like who your favorite is and i, I have some friends who prefer the crew of deep space nine and uh Nobody deep space no kidding, kidding, but, no but but it's like um but when Trek o'brien is, shows up on ds9 right Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, well, I mean, so, does, so does Worf. I mean, so yeah. Um, well, I know but, that. But, um, okay. <laughs> so um, the uh, and and when something is derided, it is it is pretty uh, unanimously derided. So, like for instance, almost everybody agrees that the season, the series finale of Bacula's Enterprise show is a travesty. That it was a big, oh, no. big, yeah, it was a big misfire. It was a they took a gamble that they thought would kind of be cool and and fun and whatever, and it did not. It was it was actually kind of disrespectful to the characters. So it was not like everybody agrees that that was awful. Um, the, uh, fi- uh, the film Final Frontier, which was the one that William Shatner actually directed, has its fans, but most people agree like that's kind of the weak point of the franchise. So I think what you're identifying there, Reed, is is a more meta level sort of thing here, which is it's all in a name. Like, you know, star Wars, like people are passionate about it and dig in and are hateful and dumb, but it's built into the name. It's wars. It's about conflict. The, the essence of the franchise itself seeds its own conflict in its fandom and within the absolutely universe of the show. Whereas, you know, I mean, God love Gene Roddenberry, but star Trek, 
I mean, it's just, it's like, that's not, there's no, it just, it just sort of like, oh, I guess we're going for a walk. It's like a constitutional for our day. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go. No, no, no. We're walking together hand in hand into the final frontier. That is, (laughs) that is what this is. But I mean, like, that's the problem. If you want the people, you just got to, you got to seed the conflict. You know, it's like. No, no, no. The biggest, the biggest conflict. It's like Russian bots on the internet. Like all of this, all of the problems of the real world actively and currently can be reflected in naming Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Trek. <laughs> like, I mean, All right. kind of. I mean, kind of. No, no, no. I ain't done. No. Here's oh, the thing. okay. No, Sorry. No, here's the... No, that's no, my... No, I'm own. Star Trek. I'm, I'm peaceful. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Come in peace. You know? the, big, the biggest conflict Live long and have, prosper. No, exactly. The biggest conflict that Star Trek fans have is with all the Star Wars, like, jerks who are like, we're the better thing because we're the... Yeah, right. That's... Sure, you go over there, and we will go to our planet and admire everybody's cosplay and share moments on the bridge and all that other kind of stuff. Like we we will be perfectly content to stay in our peaceful little happy nexus bubbles, and uh, you all go and you but debate you know over the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Y'all have fifty fun years of Star Trek doesn't have Baby Yoda. It doesn't have Baby Yoda. <laughs> It doesn't have it's baby kind of yet. the like Womp, there you go yep. done yeah yep. um speaking of <laughs> oh um, that's cute oh thanks uh that is not a Romulan <laughs> um uh what I've watched recently read will not take the ten minutes that just took and that is simply that I watched uh Miss Americana the Taylor Swift hey! uh, documentary on Netflix. And it was great. I've never seen, yeah, I've never seen, I know there are two or three out there, like concert footages and um, documentaries and stuff, but I've never, I've never seen a Taylor Swift sort of focal filmic thing. Uh, is Miss Americana like, would that be what you would recommend? Like, let's say, hey, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a semi yes. fan of yep. Taylor Swift. I'm a so, semi good father. I'm a semi good father. <laughs> so, um, but three uh, years of the fear of God. And that <laughs> reference has come up twice in two twice. weeks. Twice. Um, yeah. But so you would recommend yeah. Miss Americana is like where yeah. I should start. And in fact, as much as I liked the album 1989, I didn't really pay attention to Reputation, I think was the name of the follow up. And watching this documentary reinvested me in, and we've been listening to Lover uh, around good the house song. lately. No. Well, it's a good album. It's great, great stuff on there. Uh, so no, mm-hmm. it's, it's good. Um, if you like her, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. If you don't like your stuff having a shred of political nature to it, you might not, but oh. I liked it for that reason. And okay. Mm-hmm. Off we go. She so has that, gotten what she's what? gotten Tell political. Me. No, no, just she's, she's gotten political in some interesting ways, uh, in recent years. And, uh, it's been, yeah, it's it's been interesting to kind of see her come into her own in that respect. We don't need to have a well, conversation. Well, there's a really I was just like even even ignoring what it's about, although that's hard, kind of hard to do. There's actually a really amazing scene in the documentary because I di- I didn't know this. I knew her mom had a strong role in her sort of career life, uh, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. apparently her father does as well. And there's this really powerful scene of her surrounded by all what are clearly executives, like her her team, like the top level of her team sure yeah trying to dissuade her from speaking her voice wow refuses and it's really powerful yeah um is that all you got for your watcher read that's it well everybody that has been another installment of what's what you watching what you reading what you listening to
it took us way too long to devise this idea. So great. That is fantastic. So great. Speaking oh. of children and other folks singing what you're watching, reading, listening to, we've got another tiny segment before our main show, Riri. We just had little kiddos sing us. Uh, we got another guest by the name of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Let's see, business section. Ooh, la, la, what do we got here? Wow. What was that? I don't know. That was lightning. <laughs> I saw your shirt and it got me, you know, oh, it's in the spirit. It's yeah. like my Palpatine. <laughs> um. <Wow>. <laughs> Nailed it. Riri. <laughs> 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 All right. Riri, so we got some quick calls to action. Here we uh, go. Basically, it's the same as they were last time. Uh, emails for stickers. We've had a number of those come in already. We're doing this for at least about a month. We want your email. We're going to send you a free sticker. Those are forthcoming. I've been in quarantine because my sister's about to have a baby. Okay, so i got to get some stamps, right? It's going to happen, though. So emails for stickers. Go to the website. Uh, the front page of the website has a subscribe field. Input your information there. Hit subscribe. Your email will register with us. It already has. So if you've already done it, awesome you will be getting your sticker and your communication um <laughs> but once you send us that we're going to reach out and we're going to send you a sticker for free what do you have in our calls to action read very first thing is we still need your votes for the best of 2010 for 2020 2020 uh i'm sorry if you wanted to vote on 2009 you have missed your opportunity because as of this recording that one is closed but if you want to chime in on your favorite horror films of 2010 you got to go to the fear of god you got to click on the banner at the top that will take you to the survey page where you can still cast your votes to influence the top 10 favorite horror films of 2010 2009 is closed and that episode will be airing along with us revealing your top 10 next week so go vote for 2010 this is your last chance that's amazing i can't believe we're already there uh also as you just heard we are doing audience participation what you're watching reading listening to so we want you to email us you can do just an audio version on your voice memo you can do a video version go crazy record your kids record your spouse record your dog record someone else in the house keep a social distance of six feet <laughs> uh but we want to hear it and we're going to use it as we are starting today on the show. That's very exciting, Riri. Very, very exciting. But that's not Lastly, all. Wait. That's not all. There's more. Okay. <laughs> In just a couple of weeks, we are going to be officially launching the Fear of God Book Club. And our very first installment in the Fear of God book club is going to be Matt Ruff with his novel, Lovecraft Country. You only have a couple of weeks left if you want to acquire that book somehow, support your local library. It, you can acquire that book somehow or digitally and read it in preparation for the conversation. Also, relative to book club, if you share to the various social media platforms, if you share our show or an episode of our show or something about our show to your friends, neighbors, fellow whatevers, um, if you share us and tag us, you will automatically be entered into a drawing for the chance to win an autographed copy of Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Uh, thank you again to Blake Collier and the 88 Names Podcast for uh, introducing us, and we're very, very excited. Reed, would you like to send our friend back to his model? All right. It's time, buddy. Home, home, home. It's showtime. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I totally funny. blanked on that. I was like, what is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that part of the thing. I didn't know you could just make up three words and throw yeah, them in there. Right? <laughs> Burrito, burrito, burrito. Uh, 
Uh, microphone, microphone, microphone. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if this works. Money, money, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> read. Read. Nathan. So, are we going to cry for the next hour or are we going to cry for the next hour and a half is the I question. So, we are at the end of our trek. Mm. <laughs> that's not gonna get that. old quick um no. <laughs> of leftovers HB, hbo's leftovers season one uh we will feature specifically episodes nine and ten but i had some trivial bits if i don't know if hey, you do i have none well cool i'm gonna go through some have of these trivial it. bits because i have been feasting on leftovers um I'm so and right, see what you did there you like that you like that <laughs> Let me look up something real quick. Stay tuned. Um, so I do want to highlight a podcast that I discovered um, called The Living Reminders. Uh, clearly, it is mm. off, no longer being produced, but was coincided with the show. was actually not the official HBO version uh, that I could um, deduce. But they did interviews with Lindelof, with Parada, with um, Ann Dowd, Carrie Coon, uh, Chris Eccleston. Wow. Um, wow. You know, this has come up once or twice, but Matt Jameson in the book is only in it for like two pages. I That's did remember how that. how small yeah. his role is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really fun. I, I referenced the podcast because that and a YouTube video uh, is primarily where I get some of this information here. Um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, secondly, you were right. You referenced recently, though, your aim was near the mark. Uh, Kevin Jr. was mm. the mayor, not Kevin Sr. Ah. So Kevin mm-hmm. Jr., Kevin, uh, Justin Throw's character was the mayor of Mapleton, not the chief of police as he is Got in the it. show. Okay. Yep. I thought so. I this, this you're going to find really fascinating. Um, this I found in external interview source, but Eccleston references it in his interview on Living Reminders. So when he was on Fresh Air, he told Terry Gross that playing Matt Jameson on on Leftovers was one of several life experiences that had led him to stop identifying as an atheist. No, really? Wow. Mm -hmm. His quote from that show is, I'm no longer sure now. I had made a great play a number of years ago about my atheism and things have changed in my life and I'm no longer certain. So I guess I would have to say I'm agnostic. I had children. I lost my father. I watched him suffer through dementia, had my own crisis earlier in the year. Um, Maybe some of the issues and leftovers, my relationship with Lindelof, uh, because Matt Jameson in the novel has such a short role. Damon was surprised I was pursuing that role. But I pointed out to him that it's a great dramatic character, an Episcopalian reverend who possibly was not taken in a biblical rapture. It is just there for the taking. He claims, he, Lindelof, that I said the man's reaction to that would be to become more religious. I don't remember saying that, but that's what Damon claims. We had a discussion about faith. And Damon said, look, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, and he says, I find myself there now, really. I just feel that when I was stomping around saying I was an atheist, I was not thinking about it enough. I think I was. I think there is certainly a huge part of me that feels intense anger against organized religion. But I do feel at the moment a little more spiritually open to what may be religious beliefs. Just this really amazing. Wow. That's, and and of, that was put very lovely. Like that's a clear, that's clearly a very thoughtful way to enter into that 
that sort of awakening. And, uh, and yeah, that's, wow. That's really, that's really interesting. And then you'll love this. So in this YouTube video and it's, um, it's an interview, it's Lindelof and Parada. They're not so much interviewing each other, but they are just in conversation about season one specifically. Yeah. And so apparently in the book, Matt Jamison abandons faith and Mm. referenced just there by Eccleston Lindelof in this interview says, in the book, Matt Jamison has left his belief system, but Eccleston asked, what if Matt doubled down? Mm. And that is reflected in the roulette sequence. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? And that, oh, there's so many great moments in this show, but I still think that roulette oh, scene is one, so of, good. It's one of the best moments of the show. It's great. Well, and, and watching that oh. little video, and I'll, I'll post this in the show notes, it's like 15 minutes long, but they cut to the scene of the smile. In oh, the, at the wow. roulette table. Yeah, it's right, great. right, right. That's uh, awesome. Lindelof says, Nora is the most direct embodiment of the show that we want to be making. The most direct mm. victim of the sudden departure, but really just striving for what to do next. Yeah. Um, and this is just a fun little funny anecdote from Lindelof. He said, again, this is circa the end of season one. He said he was surprised people considered the first season bleak. But then looking <laughs> through that lens, he saw it and then said, we're going to stone Gladys anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. man. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, those are fun. I'm glad you dug those up. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was fun. I, I, I love the show and love listening to people talk about the content of it. So we are looking at episodes nine and 10. There is no need for yeah. uh, TV guidepost music. This is the Garvey's at their best and the prodigal mm-hmm. son returns. My last note here is Lindelof refers unsurprisingly to the Garvey's at their best as his favorite episode of season one that, you know, it's interesting because yeah, this episode particularly, like I love that it exists and I love so much about it. And I feel like one of the most impactful moments of the entire season is the ending of this episode. Oh man. Um, for in so many ways, um, so yeah, I can understand. I, I don't feel think like I would a big cite butt it as coming. No, no. I mean, everybody I know is everybody has a read. yeah. What's everybody your I know is good. <laughs> I was trying to quote it. And you, I you, know. You I know. Could I let you do um, it? So uh, no, but I, I can't quite cite it as my favorite episode, though I do love a lot of things about it, uh, and I understand well, why some the people most would. Lostian of this season, I think. Yeah. Like well, because it goes this, back in time, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And just you know, filling in gaps. Um, I do love, that's my first note. I love the way they play with the reveal that you're about to see into the past because up until that point, he's jogging and then mm -hmm. he gets to this house that you don't recognize initially, but you're like, Hmm, maybe this is, you know, further down and he and Nora have done whatever they've moved on. And like Laurie is intentionally, intentionally obscured in the background, uh, out of focus until finally she walks in and it solidifies that like, Oh, we're dealing we're dealing with something in the past because yeah. here's here's Lori and uh either in the past or in the far distant future. Um but uh yeah, I just love the way that they played with that a little bit. Um I think one of my favorite elements of this episode is the turn of Lori being the therapist for Patty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is such a wild card to play. Mm. And yet makes perfect sense about why their dynamic is the way it is in the present. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because because that moment when Patty's sitting there saying something big is, <laughs> you know, something bad is about to happen, and it does. The it's big subs- one. Yeah, the big one, and it substantiates so much why. Lori would get to a place to where she would like, man, gosh, maybe Patty was onto something. Maybe Patty mm-hmm. is onto something, and then therefore join the guilty remnant. Um, yeah, it, yeah, that's that was a really, really great pivot. Um, what else you got about this episode? So, I, to be honest, I didn't take a lot of notes. I wrote down Kevin's dad's line. That's great. Which is so wonderful. He says, uh, you know, and the part that I wrote down is just he's telling him, he said, you have no greater purpose because it is enough. And yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Well, because Kevin immediately beforehand, who we know is wrestling with his own sort of anger issues, self-worth issues. Sure, sure. um, Whatever you want to call it. He says, why isn't it enough? Mm. And he's referring Mm explicitly to his family right and kevin senior says every man rebels against the idea that this is it he fights windmills he saves damsels all in search of greater purpose you have no greater purpose because it is enough yeah yeah that's great yeah Um, i did want to mention in uh the garbies at their best i love a lot of what the performers get to do that's new for them in this new context i feel terrible for the poor actor playing Jill. She gets the awful end with the, the braces. Stick. The braces and the oh, ew, just she reminds me of Jimmy Fallon's ill, you know. It's it's ill. Ill. That is exactly what it it didn't it didn't click with me watching it, but it does now. That is Jimmy Fallon's ill. <laughs> so funny. Um yeah, so it's like back, I back his house. <laughs> I do. I, I I agree with you there. So I spent this entire episode just sort of enjoying it, and 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 again, not taking very many specific notes. Um, but I have to say, before we move on into the finale of the season, that whole like four minutes of departure scene is mm. just. I was m- clenching my fists. I was oh. just like. Uh, like um under the shadow i was laying in bed watching this and i was just laying there with my fists at my side oh just man. like well because, so so tense because you kind of can presume obviously you you acclimate early on that this episode is in the past so we're seeing everything as it's progressing through certain stages of people's lives pre-departure it, it's a pretty safe assumption that before the episode is over, you will experience the departure. But where everybody is in the mm-hmm. moment, I just, I was stunned. And this is, again, my second time seeing it. But I had forgotten so many subtle things. Like, I love that the kids are all holding hands and igniting yep. the, the uh, I, I forget what you would call that, but it's the science sure. experiment where the, the collective, yeah, it's the collective energy of everybody joining hands is creating like a static electricity and causing this this obelisk or whatever to ignite and i love that the departure happens so everybody's faces are smiling but suddenly the light just goes out and i'm like oh my god that is that is incredible and then of course you have all of the other different moments culminating into the most it's terrible oh my gosh because you have so i I just want to cite the big moments that they give you so obviously you give you know uh jill and tom are like holding hands with all these other school kids and the light goes out so that's one thing um and then nora 
has mm. just been just mm. so frustrated because she was waiting for a phone call about a job offer. And then a, her child spills something right on her phone and she tries to answer right as it's ringing and she tries to answer it and it won't answer. And so she yells out in rage at them as she's trying to dry her phone. And then they're all gone. Husband and, and two around. kids are all gone. And yeah, just that look on her face when she sees what's happened. And then, of course, it moves to I had, I had completely forgotten this, that. Kevin, who I knew was having an affair at the moment it happened, but had completely forgotten that his lover departs. So like oh, yeah. that yeah. image where he just pulls the sheet back because yeah. she's just gone. And, and it's, uh, that's stunning. But of course, the worst of all is that Lori is having what is presumably, I guess, her first ultrasound or an early mm -hmm. ultrasound mm -hmm. for a pregnancy that she has not yet told Kevin about. And she's having the ultrasound and it is in the midst of her having the ultrasound that we hear the scream outside the facility that something is going on. And then the last moment, the image, uh, the, the last image of the episode is she stares back at the ultrasound machine where before tears there was a baby eyes, yeah. and a heartbeat and she's now got tears in her eyes as she leans up from the table. And it doesn't show you the screen, yeah. but you know exactly what she's seeing. And that that is staggering to me. That is, it is devastating but it is so as a as a story narrative sort of escalation it's incredibly powerful um and for everything it means for that character it's just yeah this is an out is an outstanding piece of storytelling it really is did you have any other notes on it before we move into the finale narrative wise because we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about themes did stuff. you catch did you understand the moment when kevin is smoking and the women pull up to him and they say, are you ready? So, n no. What I took that moment to be was I took that moment to be something like just sort of like a, a cultish sort of figure, but I didn't know if it had any sort of particular resonance. So, no, if there is some, I mean, it, it might have missed me. Well, what is Kevin doing right there? And what is he wearing? He's wearing a white T-shirt and he's smoking. These women pull up and they yeah. say, are you ready? And he says, excuse me, I thought you were someone else. I think it's it's the GR. It's the seeds of the GR. They're they're collecting. They're gathering. So, so that that is so here's what's interesting. I That's how I took it based on his look. Like why would they interpret otherwise? So but go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't think you're wrong because I even had that notion as I was watching it, but I'm just like it's just so strange to me because they didn't I don't know, it's because I don't know how to contextualize that it hasn't happened yet. You know, like, uh, like well, the GR I mean, doesn't exist. And, I sure. Mean, clearly oh. all I'm, all I'm saying is clearly there were murmur. And in fact, you know what? I'm going to throw this little, uh, missile through the roof. Um, <laughs> Tom Parada adding to this particular moment. Well, he doesn't, it's not him referencing this moment, but to the, our conversation, he says of crafting the novel, he wanted to avoid the rapture as a conceit in order to avoid the secularism versus Christianity conversation. And right. instead the sudden departure invites religious improvisation. And I just think there's something really fascinating to consider. And you've got Lindelof who never met a mystical sort of storytelling point. He didn't want to indulge. Right. I, right. I, I think it's signaling just that there are people attuned to what's about to happen and Patty senses okay. it. And they're mm. starting to sort of gather as part of it. Mm. 
Um, wow. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's all I interpreted that as. It, I just found it interesting and telling that it's because he's wearing a white t-shirt. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, then we get to the friggin just, just talk about a missile into the roof. This finale, uh, the prodigal son returns, which I have a lot of notes on this one. Um, my very first note is perhaps my most trivial one. Um, I've always loved the song Nothing Else Matters by Metallica, <sighs> but yeah. that sparse, like, yeah, string-infused instrumental, it's just revelatory in everything. You know, like, it's, yeah. It's, it's well, I want to come back to that scene, but there's a scene before, and it's funny, as troubled as the Wayne story is, I don't know if you'll agree with this, I actually really like the actor who plays Tommy. Like, he, he feels mm, mm. in it. He's very committed, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I find him... uh just just part of a bad storyline um but what was funny is in the scene early and and you know you'll recall this having just watched it but christine leaves the baby yes but before that happens i kept thinking like i can't remember what happens to christine does she die right here no and then she (laughs) she leaves the scene like oh that's that's why (laughs) never to be seen again she gone nope um you know the the nothing else matters scene what i love about that and what I think this show is at least in on one level so good at is you've got Jill and Laurie sitting there and Jill demanding that she talk, right? Yes. Yeah. And the guilty remnant preach such intense dis or detachment. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, Laurie realizes she's attached and what i love about that moment is jill right there for Lori is a living reminder mm. it is wow. it is your it is it is it is the intimacies and the attachments that remind you who you are yeah and, and wow. it's just a real i don't know i just loved that scene um right after that is nora finding the bodies of her family that is Guilty Remnant's end game here is yeah yeah talk is to me about tru- that is truly horrific like it is so it is it is cruelty on a level worse than any sadistic horror movie villain that we have ever covered like the fact that Nora would just wake up and yeah. come down there and find them because it is so like them. So this is so, so so what happened for listeners who you know have not watched the show or whatever we've we we mentioned earlier that there are these there's this company that will take photographs of your departed loved ones and craft a mannequin of them a a, a relatively lifelike you know with with skin and whatever mannequin of them and send it to you so that you can bury them or so you know it, it, it's a it, it's a totem if you will of exactly you know what uh how you can uh sort of make your way through you know processing this grief and 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 all that sort of stuff um and you may have just said this i'm sorry to have a body to bury even like just yeah 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 to okay. have a, to have a body to bury so what the guilty remnant did is they snuck into people's houses the night of the holidays and stole a bunch of photographs which people didn't know why they were doing that i couldn't remember why they were doing that then 
where they get their money, I don't know, but they sent off, you know, exorbitant amounts of money to get these departed loved ones made into these mannequins, and then they snuck back into people's houses and put those mannequins in their houses. So these people presumably woke up and found not their loved ones back returned to them, but the soulless, lifeless... Facsimiles. Yeah, facsimiles is a great word. Like, just these these fabrications of what they... That look enough like them to make it so painful and real that they're gone, and uh, and to be this just sort of enraging uh, kind of pouring salt into the wound, like, just completely throwing it in their faces. And I'm like, this, this is some sadistic crap. This is beyond just, like, sort of reminders or whatever. This is awful. And people's reactions of course, are incredibly violent and these people begin to, you know, kill members of the guilty remnant and beat them within an inch of their life. They set the entire guilty remnant compound uh, ablaze and uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's an understandably very visceral and, and violent reaction. to So what you done. had been saying the last couple of weeks of, of, you know, not having, uh, concretely remembered what happened yeah at, you know did going into this episode you remember did you know like i didn't fully remember in fact what i thought happened was i thought something about that building like where they were stacking up all the clothes and where mm-hmm. they were doing everything i thought that yes the church i thought there was going to be something that took place at the church so i was remembering wrongly oh, okay. until okay. until nora woke up and f- came down and found yeah. them yeah, yeah, yeah. then it all clicked together the moment that i did remember oddly enough of all things to remember the moment that i did remember is and i, do, I couldn't remember who it was but meg meg yeah you bloody. said it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We uh, made them something remember. like yeah and so that you know memory sort of pinged to me but i but yeah i couldn't uh anyway well so, and what's so yeah. wild about the the mannequin things is how, is how approximate they appear and yet how ghoulish and uncanny at the same time. Mm, like, yeah, mm-hmm. they're which, which just adds to the effect. Oh, Excuse me. Right. Man. Just adds to the effect of just horror. And yeah. Trauma. Nora's People reaction. Who, oh is gosh. Dreadful. She falls apart. I mean like, Oh my gosh. But then it's like, Oh God, I love Nora as a character. I just love, love her character so much. She falls apart and just becomes this puddle of emotion. But then we see her again sitting at the table with them, like holding yes. their hands. And I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. Well, wow. That's not in the book. I don't remember that in the book. Th- what? Guilty Remnant's plan. I don't remember that in the book. It would surprise me if it's not. I, I don't know. I haven't seen contrary or affirming otherwise, but. I don't remember a lot I about. I don't. Know. I don't. Rem- I don't remember a lot about the book, but I am almost positive that that end game is. If, if it's in the book, I am much more confident that it is not executed. If it's in the book, it might be something that is like referenced or talked about as something. Well, we'll send this episode to, to Tom Parada and let him yeah, validate that's great. one way or that's the great. other. Yeah. Um, have him on, and the two of you can chat it out about what's it not great. or is in his book. I, lo- um, I love his book talking- club part two. <laughs> Exactly. I love talking to writers about what I can't remember is in their book. Like yeah, how yeah, forgetful. Yeah. Sure. Like I love that. Yeah. Sir, I read your book. Mm-hmm. That um, was a great idea. Matt's my favorite character. He's all over it. Um <laughs> Well, and what I love so much about how this season is structured, and I, I alluded to this throughout our discussion of 
the episodes along the way is, you know, you, we, what you're referencing is the events in Mapleton that occurred during this final episode. What we've kind of skipped over, but is worth coming back to is the events of this episode that still take place out of the cabin. Um, and so, so, uh, Patty has taken her life out of the cabin. Uh, Kevin calls the one person who will believe anyone more or less. Uh, <laughs> and I actually don't say that blithely. Um, yeah. And that's Matt. And Matt comes out and delivers what is one of my favorite scenes of this season. Uh, and let me find it here. Matt shows up and he believes Kevin's story that Kevin didn't actually murder Patty and Patty's body is just in a, in a pool of her own blood and, you know, lifeless and gross. And Matt goes over to close her eyes and Kevin stops him. And he says, if you touch her, then we're in this together. Yeah. And Matt closes her eyes and says, then let's be in it. And Mm. that is when I texted you. I don't know if I'd be friends with Matt Jameson, but (laughs) I want to be a friend like Matt Jameson. I mean, what? Yeah. An amazing character. Yeah. He's he's incredible, man. Kevin, is that, is that from Job that he's reading? I didn't look it up. I think it is. I believe it is. I didn't look it up either, but I I believe it is. Um, That whole scene is so powerful. It's amazing. And then Kevin's breaking down when he says, I have not departed. Did you guess that? Yes. And he pauses at the word departed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That whole moment is such a powerful moment for Justin Thoreau as an actor and a performer, but for that character too, it's, it, just an incredible scene. And Matt at the end, just a simple amen. And then, you know, gets gets on with it uh well as an insert as an insertion there listening to that uh living reminders podcast interview with eccleston he recounts a story which is probably just a mix in this journey for him to agnosticism as it were uh where he was unfamiliar with the story of job and Mm. previous Mm. to leftovers he had been there was some event in the uk like a like a a dedication or some centennial event of a major cathedral that he and several other British actors of renown were invited to come do readings at to like oh, honor okay. the event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. his reading was from Job, oh. and he talked about how he was unfamiliar with the text before then and what an impact Job mm. had on him mm. as a story and as a character. Yeah, uh, and so that's why I do think I think that text is from Job, but I can't remember exactly. Mm. Well, and I couldn't remember, um, so when it's, we find out ultimately it's a dream, but so when Matt then takes in the dream, takes Kevin to the asylum and everything, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't remember that Matt did that. Like I was sitting there, I was like, I thought, I thought Matt was like, you know, going to kind of protect him and going to kind of shield this. So then after everything that he's going through and then he he sees for the first time the sort of spectral patty you know which yeah. looks just like patty's in the same room with him but that is when you had mentioned earlier do i wonder if the seeds of you know kevin uh, kevin's father sure. 
hearing voices and stuff, I had forgotten that Patty returns in this season as that, mm-hmm. as one mm-hmm. of the voices. I had thought that didn't arise until uh, into season two. Um, so, so yeah, the fact that she, you know, appears in that space, you might have been onto something with maybe they were kind of sort of trying to, to prop up that context so that you know, oh, this is what Kevin Sr. is experiencing. Is he right. seeing or hearing uh, the voices of those who are not with us anymore? And, um, and well, it's, so, funny you yeah. men- it's funny you mentioned the, the dream sequence because I wrote down the want to be a friend like Matt Jamison line, and then it cuts to him dropping him off real abruptly. And I, I literally wrote, or not. <laughs> I, just, I, could, I was like, eh, I think this is a dream sequence, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, that was funny. Uh, interesting. Talk about seeding things. Uh, through my reading and interview listening, you know, you aren't incorrect that Lindelof likes the closed book version of season building, Uh, but in interviews talking about what comes next in season two, post the text of uh, Parada's book. um, And, you know, if you're going to watch the show, we would encourage you to continue to do so. It, they change locations in the series. And so they yes. pivot and two interesting notes there. One is the location pivot. The idea for that came as they were breaking season one, the idea of Tom and Christine's journeys and where it would take them. And so that's where oh. they're like, cause, cause the idea was, okay, well maybe they end up at a town where no one departed. And so that oh, gets scrapped in season one. And then explodes out as the basis for more or less two and three. Um, wow. Okay. And the other thing is he talks about Jason Kadem's work, specifically Friday night lights and parenthood being cause, cause he finished lost and then did a couple of films. And he was talking about how all the shows he missed making lost, he was catching up on. So he's binging Friday night lights and parenthood. Oh, okay. Those were inspirations for the through line of leftovers meaning what if we just focus on these this family and the mm. people connected to them as opposed to and it and it gave them a pass to not have to deal with okay do we have to answer the question of what the sudden departure is let's instead just zero in on just these people and how they deal with it right 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 pretty cool. oh that's cool yeah that is really cool um so we've talked a lot about the the um you know the holy wayne plot line and our own sort of despairing places with it but as much as the plot line annoyed me that whole scene when he's dying and the whole like make a wish uh i did find it pretty affecting you know and and i love lindelof is really good part of the reason that i like him so much and this is going to super frustrate you know uh critics of lost but part of the reason that i like it so much is is the way he he's willing to let certain questions linger like what was really wished for is it truly granted all of that other sort of thing and so what's uh, hilarious because you can see me smiling at you saying that in the interview they had written in the script he that that kevin says my family and parada stopped him and said no the audience knows what he's wishing for right here. You know what I mean? Or it's more important for the ambiguity. So they, and, and Lindelof says, and he was right. So yes, yes, yes that, yeah, that yeah, was absolutely. on the table. Although you gotta, you gotta hate it for poor Kevin. Holy cow. Yeah. The oh man gosh. wakes up to find himself with his bald, possibly spectral quote unquote friend where they've abducted brutally and brutalized Patty. And then she kills herself in front of him. And then he just goes to have some waffles at a diner or whatever he's (laughs) eating and wanders into the bathroom. And there's a gutted 
man in the stall, you know, Holy who wants way. to try to hug him. And like, what in the world? <laughs> well, and <laughs> then poor he's dude. like, he's like, dude, it's crazy out here. I got to get back home. And then, of course, he goes home <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like yeah. all of the this things the guilty remnant. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, and, well, and I, do, I do think I do think it's weird. I'm sorry to cut you off there. I do think it's wild, Reed, that in the morning, this series began as a meditation and response on a global pandemic. Yeah. And the world has ended in, or <laughs> that sounded real bleak. The world has turned, our world, our country has turned into a place of rioting. And I mm-hmm. thought, how weird that this season ends with divisive, angry people at each other's throats rioting. Like, it was so what a weird turn. It was so strange to watch it, man. It was so strange to watch it because I watched this. I watched this episode last night as of our recording. Wow! And it it was weird to watch that scene. I mean, like weird is not the right word, but I don't, sure. I don't know that I have the right word. But it was it was, and I, I mean, I got pretty emotional watching it because of everything that else is going on. But that was so strange, and I mean, like. Dude, like it's it's a little strange. Like we were watching this, and they were getting ready for Memorial Day while our Memorial Day was happening, and then now this is happening with the thing. It's just it's just really weird. Like a, a lot of it is just. But I mean, I think that speaks to, you know, we felt very compelled to sort of engage with this show, and there's no possible way we could have planned all of the different coincidental things that have that have come to light from it. But it has watching the show with everything that's going on has really, you know, it's, it's spoken into my, my heart and mind in some, in some interesting ways in, in relevance that I don't know that much else could, you know, there's, there's certain pieces of media that you could seek out intentionally to try to converse about this particular moment. Um, but I never would have imagined this journey through leftovers just a couple of episodes at a time uh, would align the way that they have with everything that's happening. And I, you know, there's so much to say about that moment, about the, those sequence of moments at the end, but probably the biggest and most impactful moment to me is when, because we saw in Garvey's at their best, Lori speak because that was in the past, mm-hmm. but she hasn't said a word oh, yeah. at all this entire season post departure. She has not said a word, but the first word that she says, and you can tell like after not having spoken for nine mm-hmm. months, it's a little weird for her to verbalize something, but she screams her daughter's name because her daughter is somewhere Still stuck in, the in yeah. a, in a house that's on fire. And she screams her daughter's name to her ex-husband, for him to go in and, and rescue her. And so it says so much for that character, that character who was wrestling with this idea of attachments. And like you said earlier, she realizes that she is attached, you know, and, and so it's so appropriate. Well, I love that tiny thread that, that affirms what you're saying of the lighter. Yes. That oh, she absolutely. initially yeah. discards and then goes back to try to regain, to try to grab. Yeah. Um, so her first word being Jill, her first post departure word being Jill uh, is just so powerful and so affecting, and uh, and then, God, we, you know, we've mentioned it a couple of times. <sighs> Good God, the score in this show, the it's music amazing. in the show, like if it if we weren't at risk of getting tossed in copyright prison for it, I'd tell you to throw <laughs> it all over the episode. Yeah, man, it's amazing. It's it's incredible. If you 
Like if you have some sort of music subscription service or if, it, I mean, shoot, blind. It's worth buy, buying, but yeah, yeah. Blind buy the stuff. It's such a, it's haunting and lovely and, and it's simultaneously like devastating and uplifting. And it's, it's incredible. The music is incredible. Every time that little refrain yep. comes back in, just everything sort of rises up in my heart and, and spirit, um, about it. And, uh, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I uh, so those those are the notes that I had for season one. Whenever your notes are concluded, we can start to dive into the uh, you know the specifics of theme if you want to for however long you want to. Uh, a few just quick fire notes that can layer into theme, but might or might not depending on where we go. The guilty remnant are what happens when ideology supersedes people. Mm. Did I say? GOP or guilty remnant? I can't remember. What did you say? Mapleton is on fire. Nobody wants to help them while they are being assaulted. Mm. It's it's wild. Um, yeah. Nora's letter to Kevin is really powerful. Well, and, and substantiates very, very much the the tricklings of theme that you introduced either in last week or the week before about like how the show is about can we be okay? And she yeah. very bluntly directly is like, I was trying to be okay and I can't be. And, um, yeah, it's well. Yeah. And one of the biggest Nora Durst thematic character moments is in that letter. She says, maybe we're all beyond repair. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ends with her finding the baby that Tommy left on Kevin's porch saying, look what I found. Uh, which is also a Lady Gaga song on the um, Star is Born soundtrack. That's really great. Um, uh, you want to, you want to, uh, no, I know. <laughs> Do so, you want to prop up the dummies and <laughs> have a chat? <laughs> so, so there's, I, I think it should be noticed. So the way we're going through this, which we've, we sort of, uh, Man, you didn't you know, even look at me. I was totally sitting like a, a, a. I was waiting. I was like, "Come on!" But you can't see. I've got my hands just sitting on my desk and just staring off blankly, like I replaced myself while you were gone, while you weren't looking. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so it's weird the evolution of these, like, uh, sort of us covering TV shows on the Fear of God, because like. I look back on how like we did Ash versus Evil Dead and we covered three seasons, but then just talked about the show. And then in Dark, we realized, okay, the material is dense enough that we're going to do a season one and a season two. Well, now it's just like, okay, Leftovers is far too dense. We've yeah. got to we have got to just dive into season by season. And I do think the storytelling sort of compartmentalizes itself. So I'm going to do my best in in sort of the themes and the ideas that I'm looking at to look just at season one. Um, it will help a little bit to that end that there's much about the other seasons that I can't concretely remember uh, certain moments here and there. But I feel like the biggest thing that I would introduce to the table is I was really obviously in the final episode, the guilty remnants choice and their long journey into sort of, you know, we made them remember kind of thing. Um, I don't even have real concrete words to wrap around this, but this notion of, remembering and coping and moving on i can remember in his very affecting book uh a grief observed uh, c.s lewis had written and a grief observed for those who haven't read it is c.s lewis's sort of immediate aftermath writing down after his wife died 
and uh, sort of processing through some of that grief. One of, of several moments in that book that stands out to me is he said he was afraid of forgetting her. Like he was he was afraid of, you know, forgetting precisely what she looked like or forgetting precisely what she was like, because now all he was left with was his memories. And that was the lens because she would continually surprise him and she would continually like uh, confront him or, you know, cause something unexpected to happen that uh, that was more fully her. And he was afraid that all he would be left with is just his memory of her. And so trying to wrestle down things that Patty said about, you know, uh, we accept that this has happened and other people are just trying to forget about it. And I'm trying in some ways in real time in this conversation, trying to wrestle down all the different thoughts that this season made me feel and think about, you know, the the process of remembrance and moving on. Because I do think that you look at an ideology like the guilty remnant and you look at like, I'm going to just blurt the thoughts out as I think. Yeah. In a way, to a degree, they're on to something. The thing that they're on to is to some degree, you can't pretend this just didn't happen. Like, you you cannot just ignore it. At the same time, I feel like they very much want to, or maybe not want to, but they very much feel their purpose and mission is to stay stuck in it. They're living reminders. They, they want to not move on from it. Uh, hence, they do this hideous, heinous thing to where they throw the absence of these people's loved ones in their faces. And so I feel like there is some degree of maturity that has to be struck between. I was having a conversation and, and, and you've said it a couple. We've said it a couple of times in this in this episode already that this whole series and examining the leftovers and everything, what it, it began at least initially as a way to observe and perhaps contextualize navigating this global pandemic. And I was having a conversation with uh, a church peer just earlier this week. And I said, my assessment of so many things is there are people at the moment who are just absolutely desperate at whatever cost to get back to normal and to get back to, you know, we need to just bring everything back in. We need to just, you know, sort of muscle through this, get things back into normality, get things back into or normalcy, get things back into uh, a, a sense of uh, rhythm and place and, and familiarity, if you will. And I feel like I've really, in the context of thinking about this show, I've been wrestling a lot with those people who would drive and push us to move on from this. I feel like there's not going to be, and this is what I shared with my my peer friend, I feel like those people who just want to pretend this didn't happen are not going to be able to properly assess that it happened to them and how it happened and and what it affected in them. At the same time, I don't feel like we have to stay stuck in this. I don't feel like we have to stay, you know, just perpetually circling the drain of, well, this thing has devastated us. And so now we're just always could, because I think of it in the context of what's happening right now with, um, you know, with unfortunately all of the, the protests and uh, the, uh, the, the version of protests that stays peaceful versus the version of protests that for whatever reasons, 
turn to violence uh, against people, against property, against whatever else. Um, and there's this sense of not cynicism. What's the word that I'm looking for? Um, just inevitability that this is always going to be this way or that we'll never kind of break through and move on from it. And so in my head are swirling around all of these different complex things. And maybe it feeds into exactly what you had at least briefly mentioned about, can we be okay? Can we be whole? We talked about it to a degree last week, but um, I feel like there is this very difficult tension between the need to remember but also the need to move on and the need to carry the memory with you, but not let the memory sort of keep you stuck in some sort of past sensibility. Um, and so I said up front that I don't have a, a nice bumper sticker to say, but the, these are the things that are cycling through my mind that I'm trying to wrangle down some kind of context for <laughs> leftovers, everybody. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, I wonder if uh, the question, can we be okay, is, is just sort of this clanging gong that, that kind of rings through my spirit sometimes. And, and what's interesting is I uh, Leftovers illustrates means of coping. It illustrates, I don't know if you picked up on this. I wrote this down. The scene in the Garvey's at their best when uh, Kevin's in bed. He wakes up in bed, uh, alert or alarmed. Uh, Lori's in there getting ready to leave for the day. He gets up and he goes on a run. Do you know what his line is that that signals this? Mm, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, I'm going to go on a run, which is kind of a standard thing. He says, I'm going to run then. So you've got, you've got Kevin who, and I'm, I will get back to plug in where you're at. You've got Kevin who deals with self-loathing that then cheats on his wife and the woman departs and that self-loathing metastasizes into self-hatred that channels itself in bouts of rage and anger. I mean, gosh, is it the first season that the promotional art is Justin Thoreau's musculature body bank crap, breaking a wall by banging on it? Yes. Uh, yes. So you've got that and how we deal or don't. And you've got Nora and these two characters become kind of the central, the totally effed up coach and Mrs. Coach of leftovers (laughs) because what is her last line of the season? Look what I found. This woman who will not do the interior work. I'm not I'm not saying she hasn't been through the ringer. She absolutely has. But, yeah, sure. But in the courthouse, uh, do you want to change your name? No, I'd like to keep Nora Durst. Yeah. Identify her. Uh, she, she finds a brief moment of solace after the holy Wayne hug mm-hmm. that is shattered. Mm-hmm by the image of the mannequin family that ends with a new external thing. Mm. The baby, Mm. look what I found. I found this thing. I didn't do the work and, you know, planting these posts here and hopefully together we can bring a cohesive picture. It's funny. You're, you're referencing the Lewis text 
what is the title of that book? Oh, A Grief Observed. Yeah. A Grief Observed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can be made whole in the most real union with God phrase of that meaning of that phrase in our corporeal forms. I don't know. I do think, uh, uh, my wife, um, a couple months ago, we had this really interesting conversation and she had listened to a podcast. She was reading a lot of books. I I think I've been referenced this. She was reading a lot of books about death and dying, uh, from like Mm. doctors and sort of this type of stuff. And it was really interesting. And, and, she had stumbled on this podcast interview with an author named Jason green, who wrote a book called once we saw stars. And this book is a memoir of his, I should have looked this up to know for certain, but I'm pretty sure it was like a three-year-old daughter. And they were sitting on a park bench one day in a high rise metropolitan area and read a piece of debris of construction debris small fell from the top of this building and killed his child while he was sitting with her mm-hmm. and his book is recounting the story of coming to newness and wholeness over time of course of this thing of how can can this person be made whole can can this guy as you just hear the story can that person at some point in their future life walk in in a wholeness yeah and that story has has stayed with me and and watching leftover season one and watching these people and watching us as a country and you mentioned a minute ago are we going do we have to stay stuck is there something correct about the gr I will say for myself, not that you would uh, disagree with this, I think, but just as you said that, what it made me think is the problem with the GR isn't their call to remember. The problem with the GR is they've pathologized death. They Mm. say COVID happened. That's it. That's it. Shut it down. We are dead. And Mm. we're going to make you recognize that, that you are nothing. Right. We, by, by living reminders, all that means is we're just breathing. We don't occupy, uh, uh, you know, spiritual presence and space. We occupy physical space just enough so that we're going to drag your sorry, uh, uh, forgetful asses down with us. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. the message Mm -hmm. of the GR. And so if you translate that into a COVID moment, it, it would be people pathologizing that, like, like making religion of staying stuck to use the language you used a minute ago. Right. Sure. Right. Right. And, and it's so wild Reed. Like I had in my prep for talking about theme, I had made a note about Brian Stevenson and then all this stuff starts happening. And, uh, my therapist once told me that anger is just, grief we haven't dealt with. And that's why I called to note a grief observed. What does it take to be whole? What does it take for America? Because it's, it's, we have to observe it's, it's Brian Stevenson all the time references South Africa's truth and reconciliation process. 
Mm. And he says, this is a thing this country has never done. Yeah. And it is killing us. Um, there's so many facets to that that are worth consideration outside of this conversation. But I just think there has to be some form of affirmative answer to that question. Otherwise, we should adopt all white and start smoking, right? Like mm. if we can't honestly say there's a means by which we might be whole individually, uh, locally, uh, nationally. And I don't know. I think, I think so much about what's happening right now. And, um, it, it is not in my interest to wallow in this moment long, but thinking about the people who want to identify just the cops who had participation in George Floyd's death as responsible or pivot away from this thing to identify symptoms of the problem. These are just symptoms. What about mm -hmm. the looting? That's a symptom, man. This is a symptom, not the problem itself. Yeah. And as long as we are content and we don't know we're content, we just don't know. Otherwise we don't know what whole feels like. We don't know what whole yeah. looks like because yeah. for myself, one, we have no, we have so few moral leaders in our country sometimes in our churches. And so, and that's, yeah. that sounds, uh, terribly critical. All I mean to say is it makes sense why we don't understand because we can't reach consensus on transgression, right? We can't, which means if you can't reach consensus on transgression, you're going to be uh, reluctant to seek repentance, mm. right? Uh, and if you have no one embodying any of that, that you're willing to sort of look to, it just, it just falls apart. It is, it is the cul-de-sac of the guilty remnant and everyone's throwing their, their facsimile loved ones on the pyre. Mm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And it's so fascinating. Cause I look, I, I was just blown back by Kevin seniors comment this character who himself has his issues, but my God, that man can cut like a knife. Oh yeah. In the moment. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think about that, like we talked about this on, um, uh, I think on at some point during remnant about nostalgia and by and by. Yes. And Kevin senior says when Kevin junior says, why isn't it enough? And the father says it is enough. Mm -hmm. Stop looking otherwise like yeah. Yeah. our inability to, or, or our, our craving for the nostalgia that, that pacifies our fear of the future that looms keeps us from recognizing uh, I think of the end of the last Jedi remarkable how this comes up and Leia comforting Ray saying we have all we need right here. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm trying to say in a very long winded way is it makes sense that when you deny people their grief, they will respond possibly violently. Right. 
Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's multiple layers of things going on right there. I don't mean to confuse the issue, but, um, no, no, I understand because you look at, I'm sorry. One last thing in the Stevenson note, he points to South Africa, Germany, Rwanda, these it's the local and the global locally. What does it mean to be well? What does it mean to walk whole? What does it mean to be present physically, spiritually, materially, as that keeps coming up, then globally, nationally, what does that look like? We kind of know because <laughs> we do have examples, but, yeah. and, and again, I, I, I'm saying this less as condemning more as observing, but our exceptionalism are the lies we believe about ourselves. That's what I was trying to get around to is truth telling. That phrase is what I wanted to start with and forgot truth telling. We make up, we mythologize ourselves individually, glo- nationally, and we f- we stop telling the truth mm. about who we are, you know, and that's a mix of things. But because of that, we stop telling the truth then about what we do to other people. And that just goes and 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 goes. And goes. <sighs> hey, buddy. Leftovers. Hi. But I think... I had I had a really interesting conversation with my wife not that long ago wherein we began to observe in inside the conversation the the conversation we were having was about honesty and uh and about the notion of sometimes I can hear I can hear this phrase that people will say and and they'll and you use the word truth. That's what's sparking some of this. I can hear people use the phrase like, just be honest or just tell the truth. And one of the reasons I always have a difficulty hearing that is a lot of times I will hear an encouragement to that end and or, or a, a frustration exclamation, say like, hey, you know, just be honest or permission to speak freely or whatever. But in whatever context, sometimes I'm sitting there going, I, I, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know how I feel. And one of the things I appreciate about this finale in Leftovers is that scene in the diner with Matt mm-hmm. where he says, what did Patty, Matt says to Kevin, what did Patty say right, right before she Mm-hmm. She killed herself. Mm-hmm. And he's he says she she told him you do understand or you do know. Yeah, yeah. You know. And and Matt Matt very matter of factly oh it's a wonderful scene. Matt very matter of factly said like, okay, well what what do you know? Or what did she mean? And he's like, I, I don't know. And and this is what I love about that scene is Kevin's like, I don't I don't know. I don't know what she was referring to. But I love Matt's concise observation where he's like, if she was willing to kill herself to get a message through, I guarantee you she wanted to make sure yeah. you, you had yeah. before she did it. And it's revelatory to Kevin in that moment. Kevin's not been sitting on a pile of things he's anxious to say. He's been sitting on things he does not understand how to express. He's not been sitting on things 
waiting for the outlet through which to speak. Sure. He's not understood. To what you've talked about with mentioned with Nora, she hasn't done the interior work. And I think part of the the mistake that we make is in assuming we always have all of the information about each other and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Instead of recognizing that there are things through which you have to go before you can receive the revelation of what it is. I honest to God think that awful as her character is or can be, Patty saw in Kevin that he was more self-aware than he would let himself admit. And so here's Kevin stuck in this place where he all of these pieces are there, but he doesn't know how to verbalize it. Sure doesn't know how to like come to terms with it because he can't verbalize it. Right. And so, so much of what I see going on, we don't know, Nathan. We don't know. Like, well, right, but nobody, but you're, no, 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 hold yeah, on. Yeah, please. People act like they have the answer everybody needs to listen to. So they will spit out all manner of things that people need to say, do, think, feel. This is the fix. This is the problem. This is that. And you have a whole slew of people that are experiencing things related to literal decades and decades and decades of systemic oppression and Mm -hmm. systemic prejudice. And you have people sitting there feeling things relative to economic disparity and feeling things relative to this virus has turned the world upside down and feeling all of these things and not knowing what to say and what to think and how to feel. And so I think part of what this, for me, this idea of like, remembering and moving on is I do see a lot of people acting the way this guilty remnant kind of does where they're just like shoving it in your face and saying like, no, this is, this is it. This is, this is what it's supposed to be, but they're wrong too. They're not creating a path through which we feel safe enough to do the work and to come to the revelation. Sure. And I feel like we sit sometimes in our arrogance and in our, uh, our, our anger and think that we know the 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 what everybody else needs to do and we know the the problems and the ways that everybody else needs to act and behave and and we are we're not humble at all we're right. not yes. we're not 1 inch humble about any of these problems and we're not 1 inch humble about any of the complexity the 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 human complexity that is being put through the ringer right now. Uh, whether, you know, pick an issue. Like all of the different things culminating and swirling right now into a maelstrom. And I'm and and I'm sorry that I like cut you off, but I was like, no, I, I have you're to, fine. I have well, to get have to get well, some and I of this just, out. I, I want it clear too. One, I'm not trying to oversimplify truth telling. And two, when I say I think there's angles on describing telling the truth there. Like, I mean, you and I had a mutual college peer who was like, oh, I'm a I'm a prophet. I just tell the truth. He's like, no, that's not at all what you're talking. <laughs> this is not the thing. That's not it. Um, because I think, you know, to use the the template of South African truth and reconciliation, at least on a corporate scale, it's telling the truth about what has been done. And in our case, in the 
United States case, it's it is this systemic oppression. We we have to figure out how to corporately own that true own the truth of that transgression so that reconciliation, i.e., okay, in light of this truth, what does it look like to make it right between those who have been transgressed against? Now, so there's that puzzle piece. I would right. say on a more immediate local level, individual level, when I think of truth telling part of, and and let's use Kevin for a moment. Part of it is that emotional component, that emotional intelligence, which perhaps Kevin clearly struggles with of saying, of being able to say, I am angry mm-hmm. to the depths of myself mm-hmm. and I need help. That's truth telling by the same token, by what you were saying, you can also be a jackass telling the <laughs> truth. I'm simply saying truth telling involves Initially, it's that self-awareness of last week and the bubble analogy, right? It's the self-awareness that a lot of us have a hard time with of saying, I'm really angry or I'm really sad or I'm really scared or I'm really confused. I'm in a lot of pain. It's the capacity to name those things. Um, The film Inside Out is such a beautiful template for being able to do that. But once you can do that, that truth telling permits you to begin to reconcile yourself. It's ourselves knowing ourselves. It's mm-hmm. read. We are good at this. <laughs> no, um, I don't mean it. Telling the truth. I mean, it. all of these things coalescing Wrapping in this it conversation. It's, yeah. a, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's ourselves knowing ourselves. It's having the capacity because I think once you can go through that rigorous process, of 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 naming those things inside yourself you can then but the truth becomes okay in light of those things i am responsible for me i am responsible now for how those things interact and play out that's that's a truth i'm telling about myself because the non-dualistic the mature version of this expression is now i am responsible for you Mm, in mm-hmm. caretaking your well-being, your um, exercising compassion, showing empathy. Like that's a new level of truth telling, right? To to own yeah, the right. willingness and the uh I think uh Christ image embodying of taking responsibility for for your feelings now. Like like yes. I, not as in I'm responsible for how you feel. That's not what I'm saying, but as in how what I do impairs impacts injures harms you others i have Mm -hmm. to be responsible for that thus i am my brother's keeper it all comes back to this idea what we've decided is no one is our brother Mm. yeah even yeah Mm -hmm. ourselves Mm -hmm. right like there are so many kevins walking around in the world self-loathing self-hating angry yet uh, having to wear this mask that Kevin does of peacemaking, right? Like Kevin doesn't Kevin. He good Lord. He's a 20th. He's a 21st century American cop. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and all I was trying to say earlier too, to pivot back to, uh, um, moral guideposts that, that, we talked about it on, on writing, moral imagination, like what we do, we've, we don't trust each other. We don't right. trust ourselves. I don't love the word morality, but you know what I mean when I say moral example, like 
Like we don't have someone we look to. And that's why for me personally, when six years ago, my life was sort of thrown in the toilet by a person uh, in leadership of faith. It's like, okay, well, (laughs) moral leadership now starts inside of me and Mm -hmm. I got to figure out what it means to bear a Christ image responsibly and once and if, and again, that's an ongoing, never ending sort of thing, but hero worship is a problem. I'm getting all over the place. I don't mean to, I'm sorry. No, no. I, I mean, and I, I don't want to stifle the, the space that you need to be able to flesh some of those ideas out. But I think no. the, the, the other thing is that just, it's, it's a process, right? It's, this sure. is a process. And so I'm over in this moment. I am over anybody who wants to try to snake oil pedal me a cheap answer to any of this. Sure. Just do X. Just do that. One of the most, forgive me, listeners, (laughs) one of the most frustrating comments that I hear right now is when I hear brothers and sisters, my faith in my faith say something along the lines of, well, people just need the gospel or people just need this. But I want to say why is because you, it it, it expresses an idea the way I hear it. So let me talk about how I hear it and not presume too much about why they say it. How I hear it. Very mature of you. Reed. (laughs) Thank you. How I hear it is I hear it saying, you know what? If you just let go and let God, this all be fine as if there was some version of quick, easy answer that's going to just write all of this off and make all of this done. And I feel like there are some things which are too... You get pregnant, and that child develops for nine months, and there are so many complexities and miraculous uncertainties that happen along that way. But it is it is a process. It happens over time. And it is formed and shaped as things progress. And I feel like there are so many traumas in our world and so many problems that people want to find the insert formula here, receive equation there like they want to and and this was the other thing that this season sort of like wrestled in in and then like brought up in me is man's search for understanding of the why why this thing happened to who it happened to and why it didn't happen to certain other people and so many characters in the show are wrestling with that kind of thing but the thing that i walk away with is just trying to recognize in myself hey uh, I'm still coming to recognize in myself. It's not just about admitting things that are in my heart. It's not just about admitting things that are honest and true in my expression. It's about coming to understand those things and coming to recognize that's the word. That's how I feel. Um, instead of saying like, oh, I, uh, instead of saying I'm afraid maybe saying I'm overwhelmed or I'm confused or like I like I have to find the right word that when the right word comes in, I can feel instantly, oh, that's 
that's what I'm feeling. That's what it is. But sometimes that takes a process, and it takes a process that requires space and freedom mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. requires leniency and grace and ref- and requires challenge and work. And, and sometimes, to quote the other Lindelof series that we love, sometimes you just got to sit and stare out at the ocean for a little while. Like, sometimes it requires you to just be silent, and sometimes it requires you to to work and push effort forth. But I feel like in everything that we're experiencing right now, I'm learning a lot about getting to know myself and getting to know uh, my my feelings and, and thought processes and senses of things that I'm coming to, to, to recognize in ways I didn't recognize before. And I'm, sitting in the moment pretty okay with the fact that it is a process and not a you know a a riddle or puzzle I'm trying to solve it's a right. process I'm trying to walk through i told someone else about the you know the current trauma and try you know the pandemic and trying to get through things and trying to get past the the systemic oppression and make sense of you know the 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 protests and and and, and all of the the looting and the rioting and, and, and everything that's going on. And, and <laughs> to, to, I'm thinking of Kevin Garvey in this moment, like the day after you break your legs is not the day to take up jogging. Like it's not like you have, you, you have to go through a process of healing and restoration and you have to, you have to sit still for a little while and you have to recognize like, Hey, some things are broken and, we need to give the time and the care and attention that it needs before they can even get like the what's the first thing that happens if you're if if your bone gets broken first of all it has to be set and fixed in place and be still and it has to just it has to just pause right we you know we're calling this the great pause and like it, it has to just be set and be still and you can't re-traumatize it or you'll or you'll be counterproductive to the healing process and you can't, you know, put force against it again or it won't heal the right way or won't heal at all. And I feel like there's so many things that we experience a trauma of sorts, we experience a pain of sorts and we just want to move on and walk it off. And I feel like we need to be cognizant in these conversations whether we're talking about systemic oppression, whether we're talking about economic systems coming out of the virus, whether we're talking about how all of this has personally affected you and how all of this may have, or what maybe things that didn't have anything to do with any of this has affected you. And I feel like we need to just give ourselves the freedom and the space to recognize that this is a, this is a process and it takes time and it will not be solved by anybody from the church house to the White House or anywhere in between, it is not going to be solved by anybody saying, just do this, just sure. X, Y, Z. That's that's not going to get us there. It's, a, it's very personal. It's very specific. It's very complex, and it requires time, and it requires space. And, and the one big thing that I would introduce in the mix is it requires us to do the work to be humble enough to recognize that we have to change. Yes. And recognize, be humble enough to recognize that we don't have the answers and we we can only probably really know what's going on inside ourselves. But even that, we have to look 
and we have to examine and we have to be self-aware and we have to admit our mistakes and we have to be pliable and willing to move forward as a new and a different person. Um, and uh, yeah, yes. That's that's hard work. The the my last my last statement on this. It's something that I had. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's probably not true. Um, <laughs> See honesty. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I shared something to social media earlier today, and it was this. I've been thinking a lot lately about the person uh, in the Bible in the New Testament, uh, Saul of Tarsus, and I've been thinking a lot about how when he he held the coats of people who stoned Stephen the martyr and he then started like this active campaign to try to persecute and imprison and oppress Christians. And he did all of this with a staunch conviction that he was righteous and a stalwart dedication that he was doing what was that he was doing God's good work, that he was doing what was supposed to be expected of him. And it was not until he was stopped in his tracks on the road to Damascus and experiences this vision where Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? And then in his blindness, he's suddenly finally able to see all of the ways in which he was propping up oppression and persecution against Christ himself. And I feel like there are so many of us who in our stubbornness and in our pride are pressing forward in things that are making, that are actively hurting other people and that are actively causing other people to suffer. And in our stubborn insistence that we're doing the righteous or right or good thing, we may be further pressing down, oppressing and persecuting people who are God's fearfully and wonderfully made children. And until we are willing humbly enough to just be stopped in our tracks and be sort of arrested and examine the ways in which we need to turn around and become, that's what prompted me to bring it up is we've got to become a different person because once that revelation hit him, he no longer was Saul of Tarsus. Now he was Paul. Well, and And he's like, call me this. Yeah. And it's funny because I had the thought recently of like this craving for normal when what we need is new. Like it's, which is real pithy and I don't mean it to be, uh, you know, kind of bumper stickery, but like normal didn't work anyway. You know, um, Mm. I really loved, Mm. uh, if, if you needed some information, I really loved your posts on that. That was really powerful. Mm, I'm not just pacifying you. I'm telling you the truth. No, will you tell me that you're not mad at me for invoking truth telling as an idea that, that what you're describing, what you're Um, decrying and, and, and absolutely i'm not mad oh, at, okay. i'm not mad at okay. all no you can be i'm mad. not mad at all no no i'm actually no i'm actually not i it's, it was it was prescient it was prescient because i've been i've been coming to the revelation just recently that in order for me to tell the truth sometimes i have to shake hands with the truth and get to know the truth and sometimes i have to in myself sometimes i don't know fully who i am and i need to recognize and understand the hard work of of coming to that awareness and so uh you know i feel like no i feel like it was you know it it incited a particular frustration that i don't have with you but that i have with the notion of people who peddle cheap and easy truths sure. as if as if truth has ever been cheap or easy to quote john locke you know like like it has never been easy and but <laughs> but it's good you know if i could reach and, through this computer oh, screen just you know <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Easy so, 
Um, so, I mean, unless you had, and when, if you do, by all means, tell the truth. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I feel like this might be a good place to, to sort of leave it there unless there was something you really feel left unsaid that needs to be said. Uh, otherwise, we can pivot to the fog meter. I yield to your preference there, sir. Read. It is like crazy <laughs> town. What in the world is happening on this planet? Oh, oh, Everything. Like, I know. like All it is it. a process. Yeah. And I, I think you're a hundred percent, you're a thousand percent correct there. And it was funny because in the last hour, it's like, are we talking about a global pandemic or racial problems <laughs> in America that have led to conflagration and Oh, oh, all of it? It's all, oh, right. We all were just concerned a week ago about whether to wear a mask or not. And now we're worried if we're going to die in our homes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh from oh, whatever, oh, but yeah. I'm glad to be here. Um, and in the, um, in the words of Matt's Jameson read, let's be in it. Um, then let's be in it. Uh, are we fog meter in this? Let's do it. Let's 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 go ahead and get let's go ahead and give it a fog meter. Um, so the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God, where we rate the material we cover on its scares and its substance. The leftovers, very specifically, season one. Um, fear. It's it's just weird because it has a lot of existential things to offer, but uh, and some of those things are upsetting and and perhaps a bit disturbing or frightening to to discuss, but obviously not a uh, traditionally themed horror related show. Uh, I'm going to give this a three on Whoa. fear factor. So um, what do you got? For me? I'm going to double down and just double. I'm going to go six. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the existential okay. component um, uh, is harrowing in a large degree. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, there's, although the, the, the grisly passing of, Patty Levin is pretty that is, awful. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's rough. Um, what about the God read? Not the God read, but the God comma read. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, get out of here! I'm just talking about season one. I'm just talking about season one. Um, uh, I'm gonna give this a a six. Wow! On really on the God meter. You're yes. just surprising yes. me. Yeah, I feel like you're. Well, here's so here's the thing. I I say I'm just talking about season one, and then at the same time, I'm recognizing that there are places this show goes that I feel like if I give them mm. comparable scores mm. are not quite mm. comparable. So I have to hedge a little bit because I know that once we start getting into two and three, if I give them the same score as season one, I'm going to feel like I need to go back and retroact my score. So I'm just... I'm sort of, you know, playing playing a bit, you know, of uh, of, of median, uh, sure. you know, operation here, um, and so so that's why I'm giving it uh, a six at the moment, only because I know where the show's going. So well, yeah, then knowing that we give half scores, half number scores, I'm gonna go for season one with a nine, knowing I've got room okay. to run. Between oh. here and the end. <laughs> I mean, I say that I, I, I'm fair. being That's jokey, fair. but um, especially the first time I saw this, the place I was in, uh, it 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 was, however painful, uh, astonishingly cathartic 
and therapeutic of sure, an experience to watch, sure. um, even for the lesser pieces of the puzzle of season one, the the total picture just is a real gripping human humans yes. wrestling with trauma story, and I, I find it really compelling and fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, and that means that we give season one of HBO's The Leftovers a six out of ten on the fog meter. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if I were rating season one, I might give it an overall sort of like that place. But let me tell you listeners where you, where you are headed. If you're on for this ride, like just, just buckle up because we've got some really galvanizing things coming up in seasons two and three of the leftovers. But the most important question before we get into all of that is, would you recommend season one of the leftovers to people? Um, it is, it is not for the faint of heart whatsoever. Uh, if you are a bit eyes wide open and enjoy, um, you know, emotionally wrenching, you know, uh, serialized drama. Uh, yes. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I am, I am unquestionably happy to be going back through it. Uh, so, so, it's a qualified yeah. but hearty yes i recommend it absolutely uh and and with me as well i think we've even said as much uh as sort of in passing because i recommend the show so wholeheartedly absolutely i recommend season one though i usually when pushing people to watch the show i tell them not to judge sure. the show yeah, on their yeah, feelings yeah. about season one um because while i think there's some tremendously great stuff in season one i feel like Getting to season two and three are so worth whatever misgivings you might have about what happens in season one. Uh, so if you've been on this journey with us and you're like, oh, I don't know, please, please, please press forward because um, I feel I mean, like two don't and take three it from are us. Like, pretty much most uh, lists of the decade has it in the top five, if not the top three. Yes. Of the series, yeah. the series no, absolutely. itself. Um, yeah, the series as a whole. No, absolutely. Um, so that puts this particular phase, uh, hashtag in the morning, phase one, hashtag remnant, uh, that puts it in the books. Um, and so we're going to, next week, we're going to take a little bit of a break, uh, maybe come up a bit from some of these weightier uh, considerations, though I'm sure, you know, like we're going to go into some levity, right? So, so next week, we're going to go into a film called Drag Me to Hell because <laughs> wait, that's that's a step I feel like up that's, from <laughs> how is that? So we're watching a movie called that. I mean, I thought we were kind of like living that right now. <laughs> so um, so, yes, listeners, next week we are going to be diving back into 2020, 2020, counting down your favorite horror films from each year of the 2000s. We're going to be going into 2009, and while I won't reveal right now its placement in the top 10, the film you should prepare for for our conversation next week will be Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. So uh, prep up for that next week, and we will see you then. Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me, as always. Absolutely. Uh, first 
for suggesting that we go through the leftovers. Thank you for that as well. Um, and uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And uh, in that spirit, uh, to each and all, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you look like, uh, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Amen. Uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.